0: Acts chapter 10, we're going to notice just a few moments, the first six verses of that chapter. Chapter. Seems to always work a little better if you have good batteries. <clears throat> Acts chapter ten. Acts chapter ten deals with or talks about and recorded for us a period of history of the early church that is extremely important. That particular conversion recorded for us in this passage or the beginning of this recording. Uh, is given much more attention and detail than even the conversions spoken of in Acts chapter 2. Those on the day of Pentecost were 3,000 people had obeyed the gospel. In our context, in the the, uh, uh, chapters, and actually uh, chapters 10 and 11 cover this, uh, we have one man in his household, as opposed to thousands of people who had obeyed the gospel. Now up to this point in man's history, the gospel was preached only to the Jewish people. Never preached to the Gentiles. And God had spent thousands of years preparing the world, and particularly preparing the Jewish nation once it came into realization, uh, for the great prophet of whom Moses spoke, Deuteronomy 18.15. Notice Acts 10 beginning with verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, "'Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and call for the one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants, and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually.' And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey, and drew nigh to the city, Peter went up up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And then, of course, it continues, and we we read about the vision that Peter had concerning the events that were about to unfold. The gospel, though, when we look at it, though up to this point in history had never been preached to the Gentiles was intended for the whole world. It was always intended for the whole world. The prophets spoke of a time when all the people of all the nations would come together into one place. They would be united into one body. And from that point, they would spread out into the rest of the world. Isaiah promised, Isaiah 2 beginning with verse 2, he made a promise, he said, "...and it shall come to pass in the last days..." that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us of His ways and we will walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And it was the prophet Joel who foretold of the very events that took place recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. He said, And it shall come to pass, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. And Peter repeated those very words. Acts chapter 2, within his sermon on that great day, he said, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, Acts 2.16. But I want us to notice the way in which Isaiah and Joel talked about this great salvation that was coming. He didn't just talk about those who would <clears throat> learn about God, those who would learn about the great prophet of whom Moses spoke, but he talked about those who would be obedient to him, those who would enjoy the blessings of being in a covenant relationship with God, they would have to do something. And we read in our text, in these verses that we've read, what they would have to do. They would have to walk in His ways, and they would have to call on His name. Not someone else's. Not some foreign religion. Not, we're going to notice in the case of Cornelius, a, a religion that had been done away with. a One that had run its course, that had done the things that it was designed to do, but it was no longer effective for the salvation of mankind. But someone asks a question, and they we're going to notice Cornelius and what a, what a fine individual Cornelius was and an upstanding citizen, and someone says, and we've all known people like this who was just a good man or a good woman. They'll say, well, what about so-and-so? He was such a good man when he lived in this world, or she was such a good lady when she lived in this world. I can't imagine heaven being a place where he or she is not residing. Well, there's no doubt those individuals must have been good folks. There's no doubt that there are a lot of people in the world who are good people. But I believe that is one of the very reasons that we have this account of Cornelius for us. Because we might ought to ask the question, and I've entitled this sermon, what a good man did. We can learn from the actions of Cornelius in his house what a good man did. He was a good man, but he had to do something based on his actions. And we look at it. And we make this application to our lives today. And we need to be able to answer someone. We need to be able to explain in a loving way, in a very scriptural way, someone may be a good person but they may still be lacking in some areas that need to be addressed. And so we need to be able to arm ourselves with information that we can impart to other people and say, yes, that person was a good man. I had a grandmother that was a good woman. I loved her dearly. She never obeyed the gospel. That doesn't take away from her high character. That doesn't take away from the fact that she loved her family, but it does point to another fact. She never did do what the Bible instructs us to do. She was a good woman, but she was a lost woman. We're going to notice tonight for just a few moments as we take a closer look at what a good man did. We're going to notice that in the very first place, this is our first point, Cornelius held himself Accountable. He held himself accountable. How do we know he was a good man? Because he was a fair man. We read of his description and we read about how he is uh, spoken of. And the first word used to describe Cornelius is the word devout. He was a devout man. Now this is not the same word that Luke used. When he talked about devout men from all parts of the world, Acts chapter 2 verse 5 coming to the uh, to congregate for Pentecost. Different word. Uh, he said, They're dwelling at Jerusalem. Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now that word is ulabase. That indicates, uh, meaning carefully and surely, being very careful not to disappoint or to offend God in any way. That's what those men were doing. And we see that demonstrated because they had journeyed hundreds of miles, many of them, so they could go congregate in a place where they thought they were doing what God asked them to do. They were going to observe the Jewish Passover. They were devout men who were Jews. Now, were they saved? Well, as we unfold and and we look down through the rest of that uh, passage in Acts chapter 2, we learn, no, they were not saved. But they were devout men They were conscientious not to offend God in any way. And as far as they understood at that time, they were fulfilling God's commandments. So they were devout men. Luke described Cornelius with another word translated devout. That means pious and dutiful, but without a true knowledge of God. See, there's a difference, isn't there? Though the Jewish religion had been done away with, Right? And it was on that day where they were coming together to learn the new law. They did what they did according to knowledge they had at that time. Cornelius, years later, he is being a a devout man, a pious man, a man with high character, but not with appropriate knowledge of God. He was devout because he feared God, right? He had a reverential fear and honor that he bestowed toward God because he had he had determined to worship God in accordance with what he thought the law still was now remember he was help he was part of the occupying force of Jerusalem he would have been around many Jews and he would have learned that religion and he not only wanted to please God but he also introduced his family to God didn't he they too practiced the Jewish religion. He was a good man because he was well known for his benevolent nature. We know that he was a good man. He gave much alms to the people, out of the ordinary for a gentile to do that with a bunch of uh, uh with a nation of Jews. That wasn't normally how that happened. It's a great contrast between him and what those people would have normally been used to in their interaction with an occupying force. He was a good man because his prayer life was extremely important to him. He observed the Jewish prayer times and he persisted in prayer. Prayed always. That was a part of his life. We know that he was a good man. Now that fact tells us that he was either a proselyte or I believe a stranger in the gate. He had converted to that Jewish religion, maybe not to being... Uh, a a Jew in the sense of a proselyte, but he followed after that doctrine. And God made uh, 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 areas where uh, an individual could do that. Now, I want us to keep in mind, uh, Cornelius was a man of prayer. That's very important to understand. He was a good man because he had a good reputation. The Jews understood who he was, and they spoke highly of him, And that was absolutely out of the ordinary because the Jewish people were not permitted to entertain or to be in the company of Gentiles. Because he was fair, he wanted to find the source of knowledge. He wanted to find out. He wanted to be sure what God had in store for him. And as we noticed during one of his periods of prayer, about the ninth hour, that would be about three o'clock in the evening, our time, he saw a vision an angel came and delivered a message to him and spoke to him and, and gave him some information and of course at that time it wasn't uncommon for God to either speak directly to or to send a messenger to those who were not in covenant relationships with him oh he would speak directly to to his prophets or his priests or whatever the the case may be a judge but he also spoke to the gentile world he spoke directly to many of them. We remember Nebuchadnezzar. God spoke directly to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. We remember Laban, Jacob's uncle. He wasn't uh, a follower of, of God. He was an idolater. God spoke to him. He gave him some information. We remember Hagar. Hagar was, was not a follower of God, lived in the home of Abraham and Sarah, but God spoke to her. God cared for her. And so during the period of the miraculous, God would speak to people. I want to, to, to note, I believe it's important that this angel also he didn't just appear before this man and say, "Hey, uh, you, by the way." He called him by his name, didn't he? God knows us by our names. He knows each individual. He understands where we are in relationship with him. And this angel delivered a, a, must have been a heartwarming message. He said, "Your prayers and your alms. they've come up as a memorial." before God. God knew what a good and moral man Cornelius was. He knew of his character and his uprightness. He knew that Cornelius wanted to sincerely serve him. He understood all of that. But understanding that he was a good man, God knew something else. He still knew that Cornelius needed to hear the words by which he and his household could be saved. Why would Cornelius be in need of hearing words whereby he could be saved. Let's think about it. He's a good man. We've talked about the things in which he was involved, his high character, his great morals, his love for for family and fellow man. So why would it be that such a good man would need to hear words by which he could be saved? Well, the answer is, is pretty obvious, isn't it? Because he wasn't saved. He was a lost man, in fact, wasn't he? He wasn't on the road to heaven. He was on the road to hell. Not because he was a bad person. He was a good man. But because he wasn't an obedient man. Now, to Cornelius' credit, he had never heard the gospel preached. But he still wasn't saved. His high standards of morality, his kindness to others, his good character couldn't save him. Oh, that's a a high mark for him a great example for the rest of us but it could not save us like Saul of Tarsus all those prayers that he offered up to God couldn't save him he was a man of prayer prayer won't save you initial uh, salvation prayer won't do it God sent a man to Cornelius just like he sent a man to, to Saul of Tarsus to preach the gospel Cornelius held himself accountable Cornelius understood what it meant to be a good man. That's why he lived the way in which he lived. But but what if Cornelius had simply stopped there? What if he had realized, okay, I understand that there are some things I need to do. There are some words I need to hear so I might be saved. But what if he hadn't sent those three men for Peter? What if he had just simply continued doing what he was doing, taking that information and not really done anything with it. But see, that's not what a good man did, was it? A good man held himself accountable. But we're going to notice secondly, and this is our second point, a good man acted on the information that he was given. The the angel commanded him, Send men to Joppa, go get Simon, whose surname is Peter. He can tell you what you need to hear so that you might be saved. And what did cornelius do did it immediately he did not procrastinate he didn't wait i can remember of the times i've been in india it would be so frustrating because as a culture they do nothing right now that's just their culture they don't do anything right now they got to go talk to the family and they got to consider it and they they have to think about it and talk to the to the chief of the village and they have to do all sorts of things and it's very frustrating You'll sit down you'll have a Bible study and they'll agree with, with, with whatever it is that you're telling them. And they may be coming out of a denomination. They may be coming out of uh, Hinduism or any number of, of things of which they have uh, turned their belief system. And they'll look at a passage and, and I've had them look at me and say, I've never heard this before. I didn't know that's what God wanted. I said, do you read it for yourself in the Bible? Yes. Do you believe it? Yes. What are you going to do? i got to go talk to my family. You know. But that's not what a good man did in our example, is it? I'm not saying those people aren't good people. But I'm making the point. We talk about someone being a good person. What did this good man do? He acted on what God gave him to do. He did not procrastinate. Even though it was late in the evening. That's after 3 o'clock. He had a, a... uh, a journey those men did of, of thirty miles. If they went the coastal highway to Joppa. that wasn't the normal route. So they probably had much longer than a thirty-mile trek, and they're uh, likely on foot. Wasn't a small journey for them, but they headed out immediately. Cornelius did not procrastinate because he had he he acted. He had to do something, but what he did do. Was put his plan into action, didn't he? He didn't just listen. He didn't just get excited and say, Boy, we need to do something. We can talk about making plans all day long until we do something about those plans. It doesn't matter, does it? His plan was to send them immediately. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to go talk to his family. He didn't have to consider the repercussions. He simply obeyed God's commandment. Someone who is sincere in wanting to be faithful to God, we'll listen to him. Cornelius is a good example of how we ought to treat those around us too when we learn something. What did Cornelius do? Well, he sent these men and as they had gone to get Peter, he understood about what time they would return. And so he gathered up a whole house full of people, didn't he? He wanted his family there. He wanted his friends, his near kinsmen. He wanted them to hear the message of life the same as He was about to hear the message of life. What a great example for the rest of us. And when Peter entered the home of Cornelius, Acts 10 verse 27, he found many that were come together. They were come together specifically to learn what they needed to do to be pleasing to God. I think it is so important for us to always remember. It is paramount to our Christian lifestyle for us to share the message of God with the world. Can you think of a more important subject to share with someone? If we had a cure for some debilitating disease, I think we would probably be working night and day to share that. If we had a cure for cancer, or we had a cure for AIDS, or we had a cure for any number of problems and ailments and maladies, I believe that there's not a one of us here, if we could cure people, from those diseases would not be working night and day to share that information we would throw a tent up at the hospital wouldn't we we'd just go from room to room if we were able to cure a problem we have the cure for the greatest problem that man has ever known but as we look at this account of Cornelius, as it unfolds right before our eyes and and we're understanding what this good man did he Held himself accountable. He acted upon what information he had been given. But most importantly, maybe the most important part of this whole account is it, as we look at it, this is our third point, he accepted what was shown him to be the truth. He didn't just take someone's word for it. He accepted because he was shown the truth. It was demonstrated to him for God's message to be beneficial to a person you have to be able to sit down with them and and they have to want to know what the bible says they have to have an open mind they have to have a soft heart they have to be genuine in exactly what their desires are when we read about the parable of the sower and the sower goes out and he's sowing seed and and the seed falls on the the hard ground where everybody walks it falls in the Stony ground on the thorny ground. Some of it fell on good ground. Well, that in the pathway that was hard, the bird came and ate it, and that was Satan. Later on, described to us as snatching the word out of the hearts of the hearer. You have those who the seed had fallen into the the stony ground. Now that's not like a rocky full of rocks. That's a that's a, a, a stone layer with very shallow dirt on top of it, and that seed would come up, but but they couldn't take root. And then it just finally withered. It didn't have a good foundation. Then you had those that were was sown into the thorny ground and it grew up. But along with it grew up the thistles and the thorns. And, and eventually all those thorns choked it out. That's the cares of this world, Jesus explained, choking that out. But see, that that fell the good ground, it was cultivated. It was good soil. We have to have good soil if we're going to grow the Word. And that's what we have to have. We have to have an open mind. Cornelius had opened his mind to what God wanted him to do. And he wanted to do that. As we look at the the teaching, he learned about Jesus' earthly ministry. He learned about the things of which he taught while he was up on this earth. He, he, He learned about the power of God being demonstrated through him, the power of the Holy Spirit, how he went about doing kind things and nice things for people, how he went about healing the sick. He learned about all of those things. He learned from Peter how he was an eyewitness to the many miracles that he performed. That must have interested Cornelius. Peter talking about the wonderful things, healing the blind, raising those from the dead. He talked about how those very actions had fulfilled the Old Testament prophets of which Cornelius was a believer. He was a practicing uh, either proselyte or stranger in the gate. Finally, he would have learned about how the world rejected Christ, how they mistreated that man, how they murdered him, hung him on a cross. But most importantly, he learned how three days later, God, through His infinite power, brought that man back up out of the grave, overcoming death itself, defeating Satan, and giving all of us an opportunity to obey the very gospel that Cornelius heard. Can you imagine what an eye-opening experience? He would have learned how Christ endured, but what He gave the world instead. Now, that wouldn't be the first time that Peter contrasted those two things, right? He talked about that very thing in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 3. But it was Christ Himself who, speaking of His blood, said it was shed for many, For the remission of sin. And when Cornelius would have connected those dots, he would have understood it was the very blood of Jesus that would allow him at that time, with his open mind, would allow him to accept the truth that God had delivered to him. Cornelius was going to gain victory. He had to accept a few things. He had to accept the fact that it was through Jesus that salvation comes not through the Old Testament, not through the Jewish religion, Jesus must be accepted, right? There's a reason for that. And Paul talks to us about it, Second Corinthians 5, verse 10. He says that we must accept Jesus because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're not going to appear before the judgment seats of the prophets. Oh, they were great men. They were godly men. They're not going to judge us they're going to be judged the same as we're going to be judged. We're not going to stand before the the, the good kings of Israel. They're going to be judged the same as we're going to be judged. We're not going to stand before the, the judges that ruled over Israel during that period of time in their history. They're going to be judged as well. See, we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether it's good or bad. All who live now, all who have ever lived, will be gathered around the same bar of judgment. Cornelius had to understand that. See, he would have been been at this point hearing the message of Jesus and seeing how it was being fulfilled. All those prophets and all those prophecies, how they came true, in the man Jesus Christ. Cornelius had an open mind to the gospel plan of salvation, and that is why Peter made an order. He ordered, didn't he? While he was still preaching the very words of life, something happened. Something interrupted him as he spoke those words, and it was the Holy Spirit interacting directly with Cornelius and his family. We remember what happened. We read Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, and we see that all of a sudden... As this was going on, Cornelius and his household began to speak in a foreign language. They began to speak in a language up to that point they'd never uttered. They hadn't been trained in this language, this tongue. We know tongues and languages are the same because of Acts chapter 1. Luke recorded for us the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and his household and they began to speak in foreign language. Acts 10 beginning with verse 45. Do you know that is only the second time in the history of man and the last time that the Holy Spirit ever interacted with someone directly and individually? He did it on the day of Pentecost when, he, uh, when the, the apostles were baptized in the Holy Spirit given the abilities which they had. And it happened these many years later at the house of Cornelius. Only two times it's ever happened. Do you know how we understand that? In chapter 11 of Acts, and Peter is he's going back to Jerusalem because to explain what had happened. And he said the same thing happened to them that happened to us on the day of Pentecost. He didn't say the thing that happened to, to uh, family so-and-so here just last week. He had to go all the way back to the beginning. In fact, that's what he called it. At no time before or since, Other than on the day of Pentecost has that happened. Anytime we see or we read about someone performing a miracle in the New Testament, it was because the apostles transferred that gift to them through the power the Holy Spirit had given them. The Holy Spirit never descended on anyone and interacted again like that. Now why was that miracle necessary? Because Peter would have to go back to Jerusalem. He would have to explain himself. There was a big uproar, and we read about it in Acts 15, about the uh, elders of the churches coming together and talking about this idea of Gentiles coming into uh, into the kingdom, being accepted into the church. That was the purpose of the miracle. That's the purpose of any miracle that has ever been worked, was to demonstrate that that individual, that message was from God. Those people that had come with Peter, Jews, they were Jewish, they weren't Gentiles. They had gone into the house of a Gentile and they saw them perform a miracle. That demonstrated to them that God had accepted them into the family. It now had come time to spread the gospel to the Gentile world. And thank God for us that that happened because we're not Jews. Now again, remember the purpose for Cornelius sending to Peter. To hear words by which he might be saved. And that's when he made that order. He said, for them to be baptized in the name of the Lord after they had spoken with these tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit didn't save them. That's not what did it. It's the one baptism in Ephesians chapter 4 that Paul speaks of. The baptism of water for the remission of sin. He heard how he and his family could gain salvation. And that's what he wanted. Why? Because he was a good man. Had to be added to the Lord's church, Acts 2.47. He knew that was the only way into salvation. He understood that that when when we're added to the Lord's church through the process of baptism, that's where we contact the blood. That's where we receive forgiveness. It should be our prayer that all the people of the world follow the example of this good man as he heard the word. He repented of his past sins. He stopped being a a follower of the Jewish law. He confessed Christ as King and Messiah because he had to. We know that he did it or else he would not have been saved. We know that he was baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, just like Saul of Tarsus. And he became a saved man. And that was the exact same answer when Peter was asked, what shall we do on the day of Pentecost? He laid out the same plan. Nothing has changed. After obeying the gospel, we read how Cornelius and his friends had begged Peter to remain with them for a period of time. And I imagine that that period of time was full of questions and answers and teaching because Cornelius would have had the desire, because he was a good man, to always abound in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, And he needed information. He needed information. No one can deny that Cornelius... Was a good man. We look at his, we might say his track record. He's been he was as good a man as anyone has ever been, but he lacked something. And it's in the words of the angel send for Peter that you might hear words by which you might be saved. He was not saved, he was a lost man. But after Peter visited, he became a saved man. But it wasn't through prayer. He didn't pray his way into salvation. He didn't work His way into salvation. He did a lot of good things. He simply couldn't get there by being a good man, and neither can we. Consider those things. As we think about heaven, as we think about being faithful to God, we think about His plan of salvation and the way in which we we gain entrance into the body. Think about that as we consider the idea of, of having to repent of sin after having obeyed the gospel. Maybe we slip up in this life. We want God to forgive us, and we do that through repenting of that sin, confessing that fault, whether publicly or privately. If it's done publicly, we have to confess it publicly. We have to acknowledge it. If it's done privately, we confess it, we acknowledge it privately. That's what God wants. But consider those things as we stand and as we sing.